0: Our scripture reading is from Acts 15, 1-11, and this is found on page 923 in your pew Bible. If you do not have a Bible with you today, or in general, we would love for you to take that one home in front of you as a gift from us. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them
1: Good morning, Christ Community. My name is Henry Thompson. I am one of the new associate pastors at Christ Community Church. I was born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I attended Indiana University for my undergraduate degree. I graduated, (laughs) thank you. I graduated from Trinity Seminary this past May, and I moved from the Chicagoland area to Kansas City about a month ago. I am very thankful to be at Christ Community Bookside, and I look forward to meeting more of you over the next two years. Let us pray before we begin our sermon this morning. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word this morning. I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that you would hide me behind the foot of your cross, Lord. And I pray that your name would be glorified and that your people would be blessed by this message this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. Prior to moving to the Chicago area for seminary, I spent three years in Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis is a place dear to my heart because it is a place where God called me to pastoral ministry. Now, Memphis is well known for a few things. Memphis is known for its music scene. The king of rock, Elvis Presley, lived in Memphis and his mansion serves as a popular tourist destination in Memphis. Memphis is also known for its barbecue, and I know many of you Kansas City residents may disagree with me, but I believe that, Can- that Memphis has the best barbecue in the United States. <laughs> I'm serious, you got to try it. And if you think that I'm wrong, then invite me to lunch, and prove me wrong. (laughs) Memphis is not only known for its amazing barbecue and music, it is also known for its racial division. Many cities have racial division, but the most well-known civil rights leader, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., was assassinated in Memphis on April 4th, 1968. This past April 4th marked the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination in Memphis. There was no way that I was gonna miss this anniversary in Memphis, so on a whim, I decided to drive from Chicago to Memphis for a conference called MLK 50, Gospel Reflections from the Mountaintop. This was a conference where pastors and ministry leaders gathered to reflect upon King's legacy and talk about how we could overcome the racial division in the church. I was thankful to be in Memphis to commemorate the 50th anniversary of King's death, but honestly, I had given up hope for racial unity in the church. I read book after book on racial unity in the church. I had extensive discussions about overcoming division in the church, and I had prayed to God about this issue, but I felt like the political, economic, and racial divisions in the church were unsurmountable. I felt like the divisions in the church were too great to overcome this side of heaven. Have you ever dealt with division in a church? Or have you ever been in a situation where you felt like the division could not be overcome? This morning, we will see that the church can overcome division and walk in unity In Acts 15, the early church overcame division through God's power. And I believe that their example can help us overcome our division today. In our text this morning, we will learn three things we must do to overcome division in the church. The first thing we learn from Acts 15 is that we should fight to preserve the gospel. We should not allow anything to be added to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the church in Antioch in Acts 13 for their first missionary journey. Paul and and Barnabas went to multiple cities preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a significant number of Gentiles placed their faith in Jesus. And in Acts 14, they raised up elders to lead the churches in the cities where they had preached the gospel. After their first missionary journey, they returned to Antioch And this brings us to our text this morning. Let's look back at verse 1 of our text. It reads, But some men came from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. A group of men who were probably Jewish Christians came from Judea to the church in Antioch. They began teaching Gentile Christians in the church in Antioch that they needed to be circumcised to be saved. Paul and Barnabas were deeply opposed to this idea because they held that Gentiles were saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas were fighting to preserve the truth of the gospel. Look at verse 2. It says, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. This is basically a fancy way of saying that Paul and Barnabas had a big disagreement with the Jewish Christians from Judea. This disagreement was so great that there had to be a council in Jerusalem to resolve this matter. The question that needed to be answered was, do Gentiles need to become Jewish to be saved? Paul and Barnabas were appointed as representatives to go to this council in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas knew the answer to this question, but they went to the council in Jerusalem in order to fight for the preservation of the gospel message. Paul and Barnabas left Antioch and went to Jerusalem. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they testified to the council about God, how God used their preaching to lead Gentiles to saving faith in Jesus, apart from circumcision. But they once again received pushback in Jerusalem. Look at verse 5, it says, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. In Jerusalem, there are a group of Pharisees who are Christians that oppose Paul and Barnabas. But despite opposition, Paul and Barnabas are committed to preserving the gospel. Paul and Barnabas know this is a fight worth fighting. And we all have fights with someone about something, but we can't fight about everything. We have to find the fights worth fighting. In my family, my parents and I would often have fights or conflicts about my grades. <laughs> this was the hill my parents were going to die on. They refused to let me do poorly in school. My parents won every one of the fights we had about my grades. Although I was initially oblivious to this fact, my parents knew how important education was to my future. So they were utterly committed to fighting for my education. My parents were fighting a fight worth fighting. As Christians in the church, we have to figure out the things worth fighting for. Like Paul and Barnabas, we should be permitted, committed to preserving the truth of the gospel. If I were to be honest, at times I fell in this endeavor. The last political election or presidential election, might I say, was very polarizing in our country. And I confess that I spent a lot of time arguing with brothers and sisters in Christ about politics. And I had Christian friends on both sides of the political spectrum. I had some friends who said, I don't know how you can be a Christian and vote for the Republican candidate. I also had friends who said, I don't know how you can be Christian and vote for the Democrat candidate. And honestly, I made similar comments, but can you blame me? I studied political science in undergrad (laughs) and I thought that my way was the way and we all have a tendency to think that our way is the way but God showed me that people did not have to vote like me to be saved. God is not a Republican, Democrat or Independent. There is no Christian party in American politics that every American Christian needs to support. God's kingdom transcends the two-party system in American politics. Don't hear me wrong. The gospel and our Christian faith should shape our political views, but we cannot allow our political views to shape the gospel. We are saved by faith in King Jesus and nothing else. We must fight like Paul and Barnabas to preserve the gospel of Jesus Christ from partisan politics. Moving back to our text this morning, we learn another thing we should fight for as Christians for unity in the church. We learn that in light of God's truth, we should fight against our own biases. For the sake of unity, we should put ourselves in positions that challenge our biases. We see this point through the words of the Apostle Peter in our text. At the beginning of verse 7, there's a great debate between the church leaders at this council in Jerusalem. They are arguing and fighting but they were not getting anywhere. Then Paul stands up and silences everyone. Have you ever been in an argument and someone said something that made you be silent? I see all the married couples naughty. <laughs> Look at the Apostle Peter's last words in the book of Acts, beginning in verse 7. Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Peter gave a testimony of how God moved in Acts chapter 10. God had called Peter to preach the gospel to the Gentiles about 10 years ago. God called Peter to go to the house of a Gentile man named Cornelius in Caesarea. And through a dream, God challenged Peter's biases. Because Jewish people didn't associate with Gentiles. When Peter came to Cornelius' house, there were a bunch of Gentiles gathered there. Peter proclaimed the gospel at Cornelius' house. And while he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on every Gentile in the room. Imagine preaching the gospel to a room full of people and seeing the Holy Spirit fall on all of them. You would never forget that day. And Peter did not forget. Those Gentiles were not circumcised and they did not follow the Mosaic law, but God saved them. They received the Holy Spirit by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter makes it clear that God is not biased toward Gentiles. He says in Acts 15.9 that God made no distinction between Jew and Gentile. The word distinction means to discriminate or favor in the original language. God did not discriminate against the Gentiles. God accepted them as they were. God didn't wait until they were circumcised or obedient to the Mosaic law to save them. Peter shows that Jewish Christians saying that Gentiles need to be circumcised and follow Mosaic law to be saved are opposing God. Because God did not make that necessary for salvation. Peter makes it clear that both Jews and Gentiles are saved by the grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't want you to miss this. Peter basically says that all people are saved the exact same way. By the grace of God revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Everyone is saved by grace. It doesn't matter if you're African American, Native American, Asian American, European American, or Latinx American. It doesn't matter if you're upper class, middle class, or working class. Everybody is saved by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ because God does not discriminate. He's not biased toward people. He's not like us. In light of God's truth, Peter lets go of his biases towards Gentiles, and we should follow in Peter's footsteps. In light of God's truth, we should challenge our biases and the biases of others. All of us have our own biases towards certain groups of people. We typically are drawn to people with the same ethnic, racial, or economic background as our own. Many times, we have biases towards certain groups of people without realizing it. When I was in college at Indiana University, I developed a relationship with an international student through a Christian campus ministry called Crew. This international student asked me for help on an assignment, and I met with him to help him as much as I could with his assignment. And after I helped him, some weeks later, I went out to eat with him. While we were out to eat, he asked to take a picture with me. I don't like taking pictures, but I took this picture with him. It was clear to me that he was very excited about this picture, and he told me that he was going to show it to his parents. Now, I'm not a celebrity, so I was out of curiosity. I asked why he wanted to show this picture to his parents, and I will never forget what he told me. He basically said, my parents told me to avoid black people when I came to America. But you have been so nice to me, so I want to show my parents this picture so they won't be afraid of black people. I didn't know how to respond in this moment, but as I reflect back on this situation, we need to do what my friend from a different country did. We need to put ourselves in positions that challenge our biases. He had never met a black person in his home country, But he had held negative biases against black people. But he he didn't let his biases keep him from reaching out to me. And I want to believe that my friend found the courage to do this because he heard about a God who was saving people from every nation, tribe, and tongue by his grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Either way, he put himself in a place for his biases to be challenged. And once he figured out his bias was incorrect, he wanted to go back to his home country and challenge his parents' bias. We should also put ourselves in positions where our biases can be challenged. One way we can do this is by intentionally seeking to develop relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ from different backgrounds than our own. Another way we can move out of our cultural comfort zone is by taking a Sunday off from Christ community and going to visit our sister church, Christian Fellowship Baptist Church. Now, usually people don't tell you to take a Sunday off from your church, but Pastor Paul and Pastor Bill admonished me to encourage you to do this. Christian Fellowship Baptist Church sits on Truce Avenue, and this street has served as a historic racial dividing line in our city through, through systemic housing discrimination. Due to the segregation in Kansas City, we should be intentional about getting involved in communities that we have tended to avoid. In The Economics of Neighborly Love by Tom Nelson, our senior pastor, he writes, and I quote, In today's world, we can choose to live, work, and play with people just like us, people who look like us, work in the same vocation as us, go to the same schools that we we do, and have the same economic lifestyle we maintain. Cultural insularity not only blinds us to the needs of others, it impoverishes us. Whether they are affluent or under-resourced, cultural ghettos inevitably deprive us of relational richness. This quote shows that there are great benefits we gain by intentionally stepping outside of our cultural comfort zone. This is what we see in the life of Peter. Peter moved out of his cultural insularity and he saw God move in tremendous ways. Peter allowed God to put him in positions where his biases would be challenged and this gave Peter the grounds to challenge some of his fellow Jewish Christians on their biases against Gentile Christians. As we move back to our text, we see in verse 12 that the council fell silent after Peter's speech. This gave Paul and Barnabas the opportunity to highlight how God has saved Gentiles by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas had seen numerous Gentiles come to faith without being circumcised or following the Mosaic law, so they gave a testimony of what they had seen. After this, James, the brother of our Lord Jesus, provides the final verdict for the council. And through this verdict, we learn the final point of this sermon we should fight for unity in the church by lovingly serving one another. Through loving service, we should pursue unity without uniformity. Let's look at what he says beginning in verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. But should write to them that stain from all things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. James begins by showing how the Old Testament scriptures reveal that God always intended to to include Gentiles in His salvation. The Old Testament scriptures show that the enthronement of Jesus Christ as the eternal king was meant to draw both Gentile and Jew into God's kingdom. Based on this reality, James does not want to make it hard for Gentiles to follow Jesus. So he gives them four things they should avoid. First, he calls them to avoid things polluted by idols. Secondly, he calls them to avoid sexual immorality. Thirdly, he calls them to avoid meat that has been strangled. And the fourth thing he calls them to avoid is meat with blood. One of the reasons James made these suggestions was to keep the Gentiles from falling back into the pagan religions that they turned from to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus tells the Gentiles to avoid things polluted by idols. Because before coming to Jesus Christ, they followed pagan religions. James' call to avoid things polluted by idols is a reminder that they must completely turn away from the idols and false gods that they worship before coming to Jesus. This call to avoid idolatry could be applied to the church today. We may not worship pagan gods, but we are tempted to fall into idolatry. An idol is anything we place above God. We should examine our lives to make sure there is nothing we are placing above God. James also calls the Gentiles to avoid sexual morality. James knows that the Gentiles lived in a culture that normalized sexual morality. In order for them to truly follow God, they had to turn from the sexual immorality in their culture. Like the Gentiles in the early church, we live in a culture that has normalized sexual morality which is any sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage between a man and woman. Today, we need to hear a fresh James call to abstain from sexual morality too. The third and fourth thing that James calls the Gentiles to do are not directly applicable to our context. But these were things that the Gentiles had to do for the sake of unity in the church. Jews and Gentiles went to church together. There wasn't a Jewish church on the east side of town, and a gentile church on the west side of town this was an anomaly the cultural divide between the jew and gentile was greater than any cultural divide in our society in order for the nabi and church together there had to be compromise jews had certain dietary laws and it would have been hard to have fellowship with gentiles if they were eating strangled meat with, with blood so the jewish christians in the church in their church they needed to think about how to lovingly serve them. So James admonishes these Gentile Christians to not eat, strangle meat with blood, to lovingly serve the Jewish Christians in their church. In our church, we should be willing to lay down our preferences to lovingly serve one another. We see this all the time in families, right? It's family day at church, right? And families have to lay down their preferences all the time for the sake of unity, right? Right? Spouses have to lay down their preferences to serve their wife or husband, and parents often make loving sacrifices for their children. The ability to lay down preferences is is essential to unity in any family, and it is essential to unity in our church family. If I could give you one piece of advice, I would tell you do not go to the Chicago area in winter. (laughs) The winters there are brutal, And this past winter, I got sick. My nostrils were stuffed, and my throat was sore. And one night while I was sick, I wanted some citron tea. And I know you haven't heard of citron tea, right? Citron tea is a Korean tea. It is like a jelly with citrus, lemon, and honey that you put in hot water. It is great to drink at any time, but especially when you're sick. But I didn't have any citron tea. So I sent out a text to my friends in my resident hall to see if anyone had this tea. None of my friends had any of this particular tea, but one of my friends, Sam Kim, texted me on his way home from church. He told me that he did not have any Citron tea, but that he would stop by the store and pick me up some. It was late at night, so I told Sam not to worry about it. Sam didn't listen to me. A little later, Sam texted me and let me know that he had picked up the citron tea. I was surprised but thankful. When I arrived at Sam's room, he gave me the citron tea, but he surprisingly gave me much more. He gave me some cough drops, some emergency packets, airborne tablets, bottled water, and food. I left Sam's room with a grocery bag full of items. He wouldn't accept any money from me, and I didn't have much to give as a poor seminary student. Sam probably would have preferred to come straight home after a long day serving at his church. He also probably would have preferred to keep his medicine and food. But he laid down his preferences to lovingly serve me. This is what we should do for one another, church. We live in a culture that tells us to selfishly focus on meeting our own needs. But God calls us to lay down our preferences to lovingly serve our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. This will lead to greater unity in our church. We can do this on a practical level in a number of ways. One way to lovingly serve is by volunteering to serve in one of our ministries at our church. After being here only a month, I know that our church could not function without volunteers. We are so thankful for all our volunteers that serve on the worship team, the sound team, and the host team. We are also thankful for our volunteers that serve with our students and children. I'm sure many of you saw Pastor Pastor Bill's email from earlier this week about the shortage of volunteers we had for the upcoming children's ministry term. I'm so happy to report that all the needs have been met and we now have a full team. Let's praise God for that. (laughs) From our whole staff team, we want to thank the many of you who have stepped up and stepped in to lovingly serve our children. In addition to serving in our church, another way we can lovingly serve one another is by laying down our resources for our brothers and sisters in Christ in need. We can also seek to embody this call to lovingly serve one another by laying down our worship-style preferences for brothers and sisters in Christ from different backgrounds in our community, This shows us that we can have unity without uniformity in our church. This text calls us to fight for unity in our church by lovingly serving one another. And the Jerusalem council produced unity between Jews and Gentiles in the church. After James gave the final verdict, Paul and Barnabas went back to Antioch to deliver the news to the Gentiles. And the Gentile Christians rejoiced in verse 31 when they found out they did not have to get circumcised or obey Mosaic law. Due to the Jerusalem Council, the gospel continued to spread among Gentiles in the rest of the book of Acts. The Jerusalem Council shows us that we can have unity without uniformity. The Gentiles did not have to become Jewish to be saved. We can be united while maintaining our ethnic differences. And this is what God wants. Disunity hinders the mission of the church. God wants us to be united without uniformity. In John 17, Jesus prayed for us to be one. Jesus did not only pray for us to be one, he made us one. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for our sins, and by his death, he tore down all the walls of division between humanity. They put nails in his hands, they put nails in his feet, and they pierced him in his side. And he hung on Calvary, and there he died. And they buried him in a borrowed tomb, and he stayed there all day Friday. And he stayed there all day Saturday, but early Sunday morning, he rose up and conquered the grave. Then he ascended to heaven and sent us the Holy Spirit. He sent us the Spirit to help us preserve the gospel He sent us the Holy Spirit to help us challenge our biases in light of God's truth. And he sent us the Holy Spirit so that we could walk in unity without uniformity. The church has the power to transcend the divisions in our society. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are one. And by the Holy Spirit, we have the power to walk in this oneness. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for bringing us here this morning, Lord. Thank you for making us one through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Please empower us to walk in oneness by your Holy Spirit. And please bless our time of communion together this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.